Your Money Replay from Money FM 89.3. Money and Me on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. This is Money and Me. Good morning. I'm Michelle Martin, and I have with me my friends Jonathan Ang and Kelvin Sito from 10X Capital. Good morning, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, good morning. We are doing really great. Uh, Soldiering on despite the coughing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we just came back from Dalian, China. A very exciting trip. Uh, we met, met a management of a listed company in uh, China. Excited. I know. I know. <laughs> you also met some very, very wealthy individuals and you say you're going to share some of those lessons with us. We're thrilled. Today, we're going to talk about what and how you should think about investing if you uh, fear an, a recession approaching. If you even have a whiff of a sense that a recession is approaching, what what should you do? So, okay, guys, uh, I want to start by, you know, giving you a nice broad question. Where is the recession coming? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really great question, Michelle. But, you know, I'm going to say something that may be disappointing to some. That is, we will never know when a recession will come. We've seen and heard many analyses about a coming crisis. You know, there are a lot of doomsdays uh, articles, especially in the 2013, uh, 2014 era. And, you know, they're trying to predict when the recession is going to come. And, you know, if you are predicting the re- the, that the recession is going to come every year, it will, sooner or later, you know, it will, heck, it will come. And then they will say that, oh, you know... See, I told you it Yeah, come. I told you. <laughs> it just came 10 years later from when I anticipated. Right, but what they don't tell you is that they've been saying the same thing for the next 5 to 10 years, right? So we have some really legendary uh, farm managers like Peter Lynch. You know, he say that I spend about 15 minutes a year on economic analysis. Mm-hmm. And we have very famous gurus like Warren Buffett saying that no, he just doesn't care about the market uh, macro conditions. In fact, he says the forecast doesn't tell you anything about the economy. It just tells you uh, who the forecaster is. It just tells you the personality of the forecaster. And we also have very famous investors like George Soros, who is very, very famous for uh, crashing the Bank of England. <laughs> and he made, he made a lot of money up from that. I like that. the fact that you chuckle at that. <laughs> Are you thinking, oh, opportunities when that happens? I mean, he's really uh, revered as like, <laughs> the guy who can predict a lot of things but yeah, even George, he makes so much happen exactly yeah. right but even George Soros himself also can't predict the market in fact on October 1987 mm-hmm. he felt that the Japanese market was about to crash but he still feels that the American market will not be affected and he gave a bullish outlook on the American economy so interestingly one week after he gave this prediction George Soros a quantum fund lost over 350 million dollars and his profits for the year was wiped out in a few days. Ouch. So one week after that, a recession came. And Soros said this, right? My financial success stands in stark contrast with my ability to forecast events. So I think, you know, we have a lot of people trying to time the market, trying to, you know, um, think when the recession is going to come. But the truth is, you will never know. We have heard a lot of comments saying that, you know, the previous recession is uh, 2000, 2009. Now we are on the 10th year mark. Mm. And, you know, the recession might be coming very, very soon. But the thing is, what if there's an, uh, another bull run for the next 10 years? And if if you're going to live in this fear and not invest at all, you're going to miss out a lot, a lot of money. Yeah, not a good idea to live in fear. But the flip side of that is, you know, people are looking at business investment, consumer confidence, taking a hit, uh, economic jitters all across the world because of the ongoing trade war with China and people looking for that important bond market recession warning, the inverted yield curve. It's really <laughs> spooking investors. Is it, uh, is it having an effect on either of you? 
that inverted yield curve? I think from my perspective is this, right? Uh, you know, being an investor for almost eight years plus, and I, I do think that um, in the past, I used to get affected by all this. But, you know, it came to a point of time, I realized there are certain things that I just cannot control or cannot comprehend, right? So I do not try to spend my time trying to comprehend things that I, I do not understand. So what I actually focus on is understanding a few important questions. Is the business that I'm buying today undervalued? In the next year or even the next five years, will they be continue growing their profits, their sales? And is the management uh, able to execute on the business uh, objectives because there are a lot of investors out there I feel that they spend too much time forecasting too many economic activities whereas if an investor decide to focus its time on analysing businesses that will be far more productive So where are you putting your time? Because as you said it is the time that you spend in the market versus timing the market that is important <laughs> for you too I think let me just uh, explain the context of this quote, uh, time in the market versus timing the market. So what we want to do is to have as much time in the market as possible as compared to timing the market. So let me just give you some context when I say this, right? For example, if you were to invest in the S&P 500, so for listeners who don't know what's the S&P 500, it, when you invest in the S&P 500, you're buying, just by buying one stock of the S&P 500 ETF, you're actually buying the top 500 companies in the whole of US. So if you were to invest in the S&P 500 in 1994 all the way till now and if you didn't do a single thing like if you just slept and maybe you went to a coma okay <laughs> and in 2013 just 20 years later you you wake up you'll find yourself right for every $10,000 invested you'll find yourself earning $48,000 so you have 5.8 times your money, 5.8x wow. your money. Wow. All right, that's by doing nothing, nothing at all. And your annualized return will be 9.22%. I mean, pretty decent, right? Yes. 9.2% by doing nothing is Over better than Over what time frame again? Over a period of 20 years. So every year, you'll earn 9%, no matter what, for 20 years. From, from what start point again? From $10,000, yeah. you'll be earning $58,000. Yeah, but what, where was the start point to have bought that S&P 500 share? 1994. Gosh, so doable. Right, this so, is not an example from 1950s. Yeah, yeah okay. 1994. So we're talking wow. about going through the dot-com bubble, going through the 08 financial crisis, yeah. going through Asian financial crisis. Just by doing nothing, every year you'll be making 9%. Now, this is the key thing, right? I mean, if you're listening to me, you better turn up the volume on the radio right now because <laughs> this is the key defining factor. Let's say you miss the five days with the biggest gains. That means, let, assuming you're a trader or you know, you, you're short-term, right? Let's say you buy and sell, buy and sell. All you have to do is to miss five days with the biggest gains, right? Five days, just five days. Your $10,000 would have become $38,000 only, right? So as compared to the previous one where you did nothing, you'll be doing 40% less off. You'll be making 40% less money. And your annualized return will be dropped, will be decreased from 9% to 7% just by missing the five greatest days in the stock market. Wow. Yeah, and is so it very possible? you would have possible? lost more if you did try to do something versus if you were in the coma yeah, and did nothing. Exactly. And if you were to miss 40 days, right, just 40 days, you'll be making a loss on your capital. You'll be making a 1% loss. Calvin? And I just want to um, chip in a bit, right? So all of us kind of know Disney, right? So we love going to Disneyland where we were growing up. Uh, we watch uh, Avengers and that's for uh, for Marvel Studios, right? So all these are owned by Disney. And just to give you a fun fact, right? So um, if you look back then, right? If 34 years ago, if you have invested in Disney, you held it all the way to today. On a yearly basis, you'll be making more than, I think, about 17%. Okay, every year you're making 17% consistently. 
But throughout the last 34 years, were there a lot of problems that happened throughout the world? Yes, there's Europe debt crisis, there's trade war, there's a lot of uh, scenarios whereby, you know, people are saying that the economy is going to look bad. But I just want to mention one thing, right? You know, now the biggest question in our minds is this, hey, trade war is happening. But you see, for the parents listening out there, right, I just have a question for you guys, right? So mm. if let's say today there's a trade war, would you tell and your son wants to go to the Disneyland really badly or wants to watch Avengers really badly, would you tell your son or daughter to say, oh, there's a trade war, let's not go and watch uh, a movie, let's <laughs> not go and uh, uh, visit Disneyland? Highly unlikely. <laughs> Highly unlikely, right? So we've got to be very clear that certain uh, problems, let's say we talk about trade war, do not affect certain companies at all, right? So while I think there's a fear out there, but there are also several companies that will not get affected during mm. the crisis. So, for example, uh, back then, um, I think uh, SMRT was a listed company. And during the 2008-2009, the share price fell by more than uh, 30% or close to even 40%. But on a Monday morning, <laughs> when you go to the MRT, you know it's definitely packed. And you know that whether it's crisis or not, they'll be still making the same amount of money. So that is uh, where our confidence comes from to know that even during crisis, certain companies will be still recession-proof and they're still growing their profits. And I find that, you know, and spending our time analyzing such businesses is far more productive than forecasting the future. Okay, so let's pick your brain since you've been studying these recession-proof companies. Uh, what are some of the principles that one should take when looking for such companies? Okay, so I'll just start off, right? Like, because for us, we are very, very focused in the way we invest. We really want to go for recession-proof companies. So number one, we go for companies with uh, growing earnings, uh, very low debt. Um, the reason is very clear because uh, we have seen a lot of companies, they have fantastic products, fantastic business models. But, you know, why did they actually go into bankruptcy? Because they borrowed too much debt. So that is always a problem that causes business to go bankrupt. And also, we like uh, to buy businesses where their products are always in demand, uh, whether you know it's recession or not. So just give you an example that is very familiar to us. So uh, for those of you who are driving right now, you might know of this company called Vicom. Oh yeah, we all do. So if you, if you uh, kind of <laughs> buy a car, you know you have to go for a car inspection. So uh, a Vicom, a business like that, is very defensive. You know that even during a crisis, you are still obliged to get your car inspected every third year, fifth year, seventh year, and ten year, and, and beyond. So you will see that it's a recession-proof business. And I think I would like to share as well, uh, there's this uh, a REIT called a Parkway Life REIT. So they actually uh, lease their bases to uh, Mount Elizabeth, Glen Eagles Hospital. So during crisis, right, uh, I think the demand will be constant. You, you see, it, it doesn't make sense for someone to say, oh, there's a crisis, I don't want to see the doctor. I want to wait for crisis finish and then I go to visit the doctor. Hey, if you have appendicitis, <laughs> you have appendicitis. <laughs> it, it, it will never happen, right? right? So certain things you have to spend and you, and you have to spend. There's no bargaining around it as well. So there's this company that we like to share as well. Um, is this company called China Maple Leaf? Um, it's the company that we visited in Italian in China last week. So it's an educational school, right? So even if during crisis, a logical parent would not take the son out of a school and say, son, can I put you to a, a, a cheaper school just because the crisis is, is there, you know? So we like businesses that are always, uh, the demand is always there uh, regardless of economic activities. So you met the founder of uh, China Maple Leaf. Yep. He's a billionaire <laughs> or almost on the way there? He's a half a billionaire. <laughs> half a billionaire. In, ter in terms of Sing dollars. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, so when you looked at China Maple Leaf, what, what attracted that to you? I think for China Maple Leaf, what's so appealing is that they run... So basically, they have uh, many segments. They target many segments in a, a child's ed uh, education. So what they do is they do preschool, elementary, middle and high school in China. And they adopt the BC education system to help Chinese students to go to the top universities in the UK, Australia and Canada. Mm -hmm. And we are talking about the real top universities. We are talking about... 
Imperial College of London in the UK, University of the New South Wales in Australia, and University of Toronto in Canada. So they help these Chinese kids go to the top universities in the world. And they've been doing this since uh, 1997, uh, thereabouts. And when we went there, we were like crazy. We were stalking all the parents standing outside waiting for the kids. I was like, you know, um, why, why are you sending your kids to this, uh, why are you sending your kids to this school? What do you like? Uh, do you believe in the Chinese unified examinations? Like, do you feel that your child has to go through that? I think a very famous Chinese name for this unified examination is called the Gaokao. It's something like our GCO levels, but in China, it's very, very competitive. Mm-hmm. We hear that it's so inner that, you know, they put in UAV jammers in the examination hall because is so competitive and people right. want to do so well in it. And we have also many cases of people committing suicide because of the stress. Oh, so we realize that most Chinese parents, they do not want their kids to go through what they've gone through and they're starting to send their kids abroad where they feel that the entire education is not just academic, but it's more uh, holistic in a sense. Like they get to learn life lessons, they get to learn how to be more sociable and not just, you know, ace their grades. And this is what we got from the ground and of course, we spoke to the uh, teachers there, we spoke to the students, the students love their teachers so much. I mean, rather than reading from the internet that, you know, uh, students love the school, you know, what is a better way than going down and really experiencing yourself and seeing it coming out from the student's mouth yourself. Mm. And, you know, this is the kind of due diligence that we do to really, before we really put our money into a company. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to hear about the legwork that you both do and exactly how you go about researching any particular business. So this is one of, of many of, uh, you know, educational providers in China, I'm sure. Um, I'm going to be a devil's advocate right now. It has been said that, you know, individual investors, if you trade stocks, you underperform the market and passive investors by a wide margin. Your earlier example spoke to that, right? Coma person actually did better than person trying to <laughs> <laughs> actively trade stocks. So... One reason for this is the pain of losses is about twice as strong as the pleasure of gains. So people act defensively, they let fear rule them. Um, so what do you think about trying to look at individual stocks, even like you know, going on the ground and doing the research to look for recession-resilient stocks? Is that a wise move? I think for most uh, majority of people that we converse over the few years, I think um, they are actually very busy people. So when you are busy, you don't do the uh, sufficient legwork. And I think a lot of times, why does people actually underperform the stock market is that I, I realize many investors actually don't do the homework. So they don't check whether the business is even profitable. They don't check whether the, the revenues are growing. So if in your time, you don't have, I mean, in your life, you don't have a lot of time to research companies, then I think it's better off investing in a passive index such as the S&P 500. Um, and I think that's, that's a better way because you, you do get to participate in a broad-based market. And when we talk about uh, S&P 500, it actually means the top 500 companies in the United States. And these 500 companies do not stay there all the time. When a company is not performing well, it's being uh, kicked out of the index and a new one is being added. So over time, you get to invest in the top 500 best innovative American companies that's operating throughout the world. And I feel that that's a very easy way to invest. But I do feel that for investors that are more enterprising, they want to do well, I think it's actually uh, quite possible to outbid the market. In fact, uh, among my social circles, uh, a couple of full-time investors and a couple of investors who are really passionate about investing. So what we do, I think, is it's really very dangerous to say, hey, you know, today I want to be an investor and you invest alone. So in some sense, you do your own research. You, you don't talk to anyone. You just buy and when you lose money, you just, you know, just suck it up and then, you know. All, Hide all, under the covers. Yeah, don't do it alone. 
Yeah, don't do it alone. Mm. So what I found that people who actually outperform the market, there's one common characteristics among them is that they actually operate in a community. So for example, I do know of a, a, a friend of mine called Daryl. So every time when he invests, he, he does his research, he would ask, opinion from one guy, two guy, three guy. He will ask opinions from almost four to five people. And after that, you know, it's kind of like having five people that, that kind of check through your research to give you opinions as well. And overall, I think if you have a process that, that, that goes through that, I think the outcome will be a lot better. So, but again, just to um, summarize everything, I, I feel that uh, majority investors don't really have a lot of time, you know, mm-hmm. out there. It's much more better to invest in a passive uh, index. But if you feel that you want to outperform the market, you feel that investing is your interest, then you got to join a Community. I think on, on the internet, there's uh, several forums like uh, the Seedly Group as well, uh, Ask Dr. Wealth, all these uh, players. So I think it's really good that you hang around with them, ask questions. And, you know, I think the overall decisions, the quality of your stock picking skill sets will mm-hmm. also improve as well. Yeah, we know from, you know, the fact that people tell us they, they download this program as well because they like listening uh, mm. to people talking about the basics of investing yeah. on their commute, on their exactly. way. People still like mm. listening to That's opinions great. of others like you. So during a recession, apart from you know doing a due diligence, pounding the ground, looking for resilient companies, what else should an investor do? General principles, I suppose, a good way to focus your time. I think the number one thing is not to leverage, right? Because leverage is really the number one killer. I think um, you know there are investors who get cute because they borrowed money to buy stocks. So for listeners out there, if you are borrowing money to buy stocks, please drop whatever you are go- doing. You know, go take a leave, take a day off from work, and just really get it sorted. Just sell whatever is leveraged so that you know you don't get cute when a recession comes and I think the last thing you want to do is the stock prices fall and you get a margin call from your bank and it can really give you a lot of stress and I think I want to leave the listeners like two quotes right from two very very intelligent investors so the first one is from Warren Buffett Warren Buffett say survive first and make money afterward right survive first and then you think about making money so the next one comes from George Soros, who also said that if you don't invest, you can't win. If you lose all your chips, you can't invest. So I'll just repeat again. If you don't invest, you cannot win. But if you lose all your chips, you can't even invest. Yeah, so it's really uh, down to living another, uh, living to invest another day. And mm. that's so, so important. Yeah, speaking of that, uh, would you guys continue to invest if you were in the midst of a recession? Would you continue to regularly invest, put aside money from your income? To invest? I mean, for me, um, you know, even at this point where people say that the market crisis is going to happen, and a very logical person would, would actually uh, uh, stockpile you know, a lot of money to, to invest during a crisis. And like for me, the way I think about it, you know, whether it's a crisis or whether it is a good time, I'll still put a portion of my money to invest because I just realized that timing the market is so difficult. And I've I've tried to do that in the first three years of my investing career. And I find that sometimes because I want to time the market, I lose opportunities. For example, there's this company that I want to buy and I just wanted to wait it, you know, for the price to drop by uh, 20 cents. Then, but it didn't happen. Subsequently, the share price went up more than 30% and I lost my opportunity because of that. And the way I look at it is that, okay, sure, you know, we, we are in a crisis, but, you know, that's where opportunities are created because the moment when a recession is over and it's clear, most stocks prices would have already gone up, you know. So instead of trying to time the market like that, I think a lot of times you need to do your work in terms of your valuations. So let's say if you find a very, very good company and you're already buying at a good price, you know, why wait? Because sometimes waiting could cause you to lose your opportunity. John? 
And I think I just want to put in some context right here. I mean, of course, you know, let's say if tomorrow recession is going to come, I mean, both of us are going to look so dumb because we say that don't uh, don't try to time the market. But let me just put some perspective and some context into what we are saying right now. So imagine you were to go back in time, back in 2008, and you were to buy MasterCard. And we all know that MasterCard is a really great company. Solid earnings, increasing earnings every single year, good cash flow. The company doesn't have much debt, right? So before recession, the stock price of MasterCard was $30. Right, thirty dollars, and after recession came, about the 0809 crisis came, and it, it went down all the way to fifteen dollars. So it's a fifty percent drop. Okay, but fast forward today, the stock price of Mastercard is two hundred and seventy five dollars. <clears throat> so how Kelvin and I see recession is basically it's just one year where compounding just pauses. That's it. Mm. We are looking at a 10-year horizon. I'm not interested in that $15. Okay, $30 to, $30 to $15. Why is $15 when 10 years later, the stock price will become $275? Mm. Of course, you will say, John, of course, you can say this now because it's hindsight. But if you know a company has a certain competitive edge, it has this, it is the best in the world. We can all agree that MasterCard and Visa is the best in the world in terms of uh, being in a payment processing in the network uh, portion of the payment industry. So if you know this, then what's, why do you want to suffer and you know, just keep looking so, um, you know, you want to zoom in so much to one year, one month and stress out so much when you know in the long run, your company is going to 5x, 10x if it can okay. grow its earnings 20% every single year. Yeah. And, and, and I think that we actually learn from the best because if you think about it logically, right? Uh, let's say we look at the world's richest investor today, Warren Buffett. Do we think that Warren Buffett will look at the newspaper today and say, oh, there's a trade war. Let me sell some of my Apple stock. <laughs> w- would I like say, oh, today uh, there's an interest rate cut. Let me sell my Wells Fargo's bank. No, Warren Buffett do- doesn't do that. And in fact, I've seen that investors who do very well over the long term, mm-hmm. what they do, they are, they are very focused. They, they have a long uh, horizon, long-term mindset. Whereas investors that don't do well is because they are just trying to time that little bit of money and, 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 you know, they say they are trying to make sure that things are perfect before they invest. But investing is very different. You don't have a perfect scenario for you to invest. In fact, every single day when you wake up, there's so many bad news that's happening around the world. But yet, why do companies like Visa, Master, Disney, Apple kept doing well? Because certain bad news don't affect them at all. So we need to draw that dis- a distinction and separate the... Yes, but it's bad news ahead for them with all the disruption and the AI and the new payment processes and blockchain coming into the picture. It's an uncertain world. This this has been a challenging topic. You two are my favorite investors to have on uh, Money and Me. I think we've done a great job talking about the overall focus, where the focus should be and how you can spend your time and how you can look for those uh, resilient companies in the midst of all these uncertainties. So <laughs> thank you even for soldiering on in spite of the, the bad throat and the coughing and the haze is not helping. Thank you to my, my two uh, favorite guests, Jonathan Ang and Kelvin Sito from 10X Capital. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great, guys. Thank you. Before acting on the information on Money FM, Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.